Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show for Monday, September 14th. Coming up, the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, on the need for transparency when it comes to COVID-19 outbreaks in Peel. And Adam Oldfield, our 640 Toronto tech expert, talks about the possible sale of TikTok to Oracle this week and if you should blur your house on Google Street View. But first, school's back. Today, we start our staggered approach when it comes to the Toronto Catholic District School Board. Here joining the program to talk about the start of school again for the Catholic Board is uh, Stephen Lecce, our Minister of Education. Welcome to the show. It's been a while. Hey, Kelly. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Hopefully you're keeping well. I know you're keeping busy. We see you on a daily basis and hear you on the station on other shows on a daily basis. So um, sure. hopefully you're still you're still doing well and you're busy. You know what? I'm staying, obviously focused on what really matters right now for the people of Ontario, which is that we can keep community spread down and keep our kids in class. I mean, I am just tremendously impressed by the professionalism, the thoughtfulness, the hard work of our principals, our educators, everyone on the ground. We're all working together, hiring public health nurses, getting that testing capacity up. So, you know, I think we've done a lot to put in those preventative layers, those you know layers of prevention, as the medical community says, to keep them safe, this kid safe. But I will note that that increasing number of COVID-19 in community, particularly, you know, in Peel, Toronto, and Ottawa, it, it is a concern because honestly, Kelly, the risk in our schools is going to be reflective of the risk in our community. We made great gains as a province, and I'm, I'm honestly tremendously proud to be a Canadian to see us all work together, all levels of government. But we can't let, uh, we just can't regress. We, we've got to keep the momentum going. There's too much at stake, and I think we have an obligation to our kids to do everything humanly possible to allow them to get back to class. They need this. Yeah, you brought up the Peel District School Board and the climbing numbers of COVID. We know that Brampton has uh, a lot of cases, and so we had Patrick Brown on the show earlier on. But Peel District School or the Peel School Board has said because of COVID nineteen and the rising numbers that they've had to actually push back their virtual learning. They had over the last week ten thousand people opt into. Uh, remote learning. And I wanted to ask you a little question about that because we're hearing that as more people are opting for remote learning, class sizes are being combined. And I immediately thought, okay, well, I get it. I get where the government's going here. The reason why we don't have smaller class sizes in elementary school is they figure it's all going to work itself out because some people offer remote learning. But we're hearing that some classes are being combined and critics are blaming this on the funding formula. So I've asked numerous people to um, kind of give us a heads up on what exactly is going on. So do you, could you describe the actual funding formula and why classes would be combined? Well, essentially, first off, for Peel, we've provided them and unlocked about $65 million in funding to help uh, deal with COVID-19, particularly in hiring new educators, um, you know, hiring 64 new nurses in that region. We're doing everything possible. And I've been in close contact with the ministries, working with the Peel District School Board and Public Health. I met with the, the um, associate medical officer of Peel just a few days ago and the head of nursing in that region to make sure that we are totally aligned and on the same page when it comes to maximizing distancing, ensuring training of staff, hand hygiene, and better screening before the kids enter our schools. Um, with respect to uh, the challenge you mentioned, every year um, school boards have to deal with um, essentially the number of students uh, that are confirmed in the school and then hire accordingly. In this mm -hmm. year, unlike in the years in the past, we've moved up the requirement for parents to provide us that knowledge because we wanted to avoid any, you know, uh, annual challenges that arise as a consequence of that ratio fluctuating this year. 
in a matter of days, we're seeing a lot of migration back and forth of parents. Now, that's their choice. And I believe as a, you know, as an individual, as a progressive conservative, parents need to have that choice. And we're the only, one of the only problems to actually give parents that choice of online versus in person. Like in Quebec, it's you go, you send your kid to school and that's it. There's, there literally is no alternative. It's mandated by, by the province. We're giving that choice. But the point is, over the coming days, once those numbers are finalized, school boards will then be able to re-timetable and repurpose educators problem, uh, uh, board-wide to reduce the classroom sizes. Right now, because there's not a critical mass in all these classes, boards are forced to sort of consolidate classes as a holding pattern until the final numbers are known. Once they're known, folks, I'm assuring you, every board intends to reduce the classroom size, especially in those like those rare examples where they're a bit higher, and bring them down. Every school board has reduced classroom sizes. Every school board has hired more teachers. We think north of 2,000 more teachers will be hired, maybe as many as 2,500 in real time. Not to mention more custodians being hired, more public health nurses, uh, more testing capacity in our schools, and of course, improvements there, ventilation. We're talking about over, you know, uh, fifty million dollars in monies flowing to ensure that the the air quality is is much better than it was in years past. So, look, I, I know this is frustrating for folks and and for parents out there. I'm an uncle uh, to kids in the Catholic system, and what I can assure you is this: we're facing an unprecedented challenge as a province. We, have, we literally have the largest online school board, if you will, in the country. Uh, we've got hundreds of thousands of parents that have opted for this for a variety of circumstances, and we respect their choice. There's going to be some challenges. But the bottom line is the fundamentals of this program are going to be, uh, I think, are going to be achieved, which is, one, quality learning, two, live synchronous learning. I've mandated a minimum of 75%, which I think is very much in keeping with what the parents want. And three, they're going to have the full access to mental health supports, their educator, principal. They've, we're hiring vir- principals for virtual schools to create more structure, more accountability. I guess what I'm saying to you is it may take, you know, as, as in the case of Peel, as they've mentioned, they made the decision to, to defer it a few days. But at the end of the day, we're going to get there. I just want to say thank you to everyone, particularly the parents, for their patience and understanding through this. I mean, I know this is a challenge, but we're going to make sure our kids are learning the curriculum, stay inspired, and stay safe. And that's the, the mandate I can give you, the one I've been given by the Premier. And we take it seriously, and we'll do everything we can to work with our school boards, the, the delivery agents of education. I, I'm not at my level, but we provide them funding. We give them guidance, and we're going to give them full support to get this right. The message that you're giving to parents right now and listeners of 640 Toronto is very reassuring. Uh, I want to ask you uh, just very quickly, when you're you're uh, giving out this message, in the back of your mind, are you thinking, okay, I need to communicate that there's not a divide between teachers and the province because we keep seeing teachers posting pictures on social media. Is there a, a good working relationship in general with teachers right now? And how important is it that parents understand that the ministry and teachers actually are working hand in hand? I think in a crisis, in a, ch- in a time of challenge, you have to work together. I mean, this is the, the one truth uh, of our country. And I think one of our finest traditions is to put politics and, you know, uh, pre-existing differences aside and come together for the safety, security, the prosperity of the country. We've always done that. And, you know, while, look, we've had some challenges with the teacher unions. I mean, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. You know that. And I think everyone mm-hmm. sees some of the challenges we face, a lot of obstruction and, and opposition. They oppose the online learning, for example, in the spring. I mean, that just, you know, but, but look, at the end of the day, they, they're entitled to their opinion. I'm going to stand up for students and for quality learning and for safety. And at the end of the day, I've worked with and met with and spoken to educators right across the province through this reopening, including the last week as schools literally reopened, last few weeks as schools reopened province-wide. And I will tell you, I'm extremely grateful and impressed 
with their commitment to their kids. They don't, most overwhelming amount of educators don't give a hoot about the politics. They care about the kids. And it's for them and for those professionals that I'm extremely grateful for. And I will continue to work hard and serve to keep them and their families safe. And likewise, the kids in our class. We've got to work together right now, folks. It just isn't the time for us to relitigate issues of the negotiation. We got, we, we've been there, done that. We got through them. We succeeded. Now let's focus on what matters, which is quality learning and safety in our schools. Set it off to start, Stephen. You're an incredibly busy man, and I know you've got to go, so I want to thank you for your time today. Awesome. Okay. Have a great day. All right. That is Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, literally probably running to another interview right now. It was like, click, thanks, bye. We were talking about this last week, how, you know, there seems to be a problem as far as the hotspots go. It's Toronto, Ottawa, and Peel are the hotspots right now for COVID-19. And um, there was a Mississauga business where 61 employees have been affected with COVID-19, and it has not been identified. There's some people like myself who feel that transparency is extremely important when we're talking about COVID. One of my major reasons for this is I don't want to stigmatize COVID. I mean, you should not be embarrassed that you have been one of those people that have tested positive for COVID-19. It's a virus. We don't know uh, exactly if they're, you know, if somebody's asymptomatic, how do you protect yourself against them? It's pretty hard. I mean, we're all doing our, our part in social distancing and washing our hands and keeping masks on. But at some point, you might come in contact with COVID-19. And I don't like the idea of secrecy. You know, back in May, 25 employees at Maple Lodge Farms at that poultry processing plant in Brampton, which is also in, P- in Peel, acquired COVID-19. And we all knew about it. We know about it when it breaks out at grocery stores. What is going on right now with Peel Public Health? Here to talk about it, the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Well, I appreciate your time today. So where do you sit as the mayor of uh, Brampton? You know, Brampton's got a big problem with their COVID numbers. We keep hearing about that. We're trying to, you know, uh, make sure that this doesn't progress into a second wave. So when you hear about a lot of your constituents uh, working at this business, we're not sure exactly what it is. I hear it's a manufacturing plant, but that's all that Peel Public Health will say. Where do you sit? Yeah, I disagree with the assessment that Peel Public Health has made that they're not going to release the names of businesses uh, uh, that have an outbreak. Um, You look at in the school system or long-term care settings, if you even have one case, they're going to tell uh, the the public. So the notion that there's a different standard for businesses, uh, for me, doesn't uh, make sense. Um, And the explanation is one that I I disagree with. in this case, you know, there's 60 plus cases at this workplace outbreak. Uh, the, the workplace is in Mississauga, but one of the reasons that I'm concerned about it is that 50 uh, of the cases come from Brampton. They're, they're my residents that are working at this location. And, um, you know, Brampton and Mississauga are very intertwined, uh, families, neighbors, uh, friends. And so, you know, we're all part of Peel Region together. And it, it's my belief that if you're a nearby restaurant or coffee shop or retail outlet, you have the right to know because some of these employees are going to be frequenting your establishment and you should have the right to know if there's um, a risk. And so, you know, I hope that Peel Public Health changes their um, changes their threshold for one to release the names. I know there's a Mississauga counselor, Karen Rass, who is pushing for that uh, uh, along with Michael Pileschi and Brampton, and, and I'm certainly going to continue, as I have for the last few months, uh, uh, pushing for um, a wider degree of, uh, of, of transparency. 
All right. Let me ask you what the messaging you're receiving from Peel Public Health is exactly. Like, why are they uh, saying that we have to protect corporate and, and employee privacy? What are you hearing? They say their policy is consistent uh, across Ontario with public health units that, that are governed by the Ontario Public Health Act. And they say that the privacy uh, of the business has to be protected. And only if they believe there is a threat to the public are they allowed to um, release uh, the the name. Um so I, you know, I, I, I disagree. I, 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 I believe that we should be completely transparent um, uh, during this pandem- pandemic. I think we owe it to the public. All right. Let, you know, you mentioned that one of your concerns is this is a manufacturing plant, but it's not, you know, an island onto itself. There's coffee shops, there are lunch places, there are retailers near there where perhaps uh, people that worked at the plant would go in and they deserve to know if they are at risk of COVID-19. But um, just jumping off that point, how would they know if they're, uh, how, how could you identify someone that works at a plant? You probably couldn't. So my question to you is, I read into that a little bit, Patrick, because that's basically what I do on this show. Um, reading between the lines, do you think, or is your concern mainly that businesses uh, in Peel may be getting a little bit lax when it comes to making sure we're protected from COVID-19 and just the idea of knowing that there's been an outbreak, people would start to rein things in. People would start to say, hey, I'm sorry, I got to stop you at the door. You haven't sanitized properly. I need you to do that. It, are people getting COVID fatigue businesses? I, I, I think there's, it's fair to say there's, there's a bit of that, but I, I think businesses would be more aggressive to follow the requirements of public health if they knew there was a risk um, to public uh, disclosure. And so, you know, I understand the concerns about protecting the reputation of businesses, but I, I you know, I look at it the opposite. At the beginning of the pandemic, um, Tim Hortons had a case with one of their locations in the northwest of, of Brampton. And Tim Hortons, on their own, part of a petrol candidate, so it's a joint uh, um, location, they publicly disclosed that they had um, a single case and that they had gone to clean it and it would be open in a few days. Um, the public actually respected the candor, the honesty, and the transparency. And so I think for businesses that are up front, the public respects that. But if you're going to hide it or you're going to be secretive about it, um, if anything, you know, that that's the reputational damage that can come from an incident like this. Well, you know, it reminds me a lot of, and this is a weird comparison, but 9-11 just passed. People saying that, you know, in New York City, I'm a little bit scared to go to New York City. It's like, well, it's the safest place to go since 9-11. You know, uh, the security is heightened. So, you know, you're not going to uh, find yourself in a, in a situation where it could be problematic. You're being protected. And I think it's the same mentality. You know, if you hear that a business is closed down for a deep clean, you know that they want to instill confidence. They are cleaning that place inside and outside thoroughly. So I can see how people would respect to that. Now, um, the public health says they're cautious about identifying workplaces in the event that it could lead to an identification of positive cases and breach their privacy. For me, I wonder what the fear is of that. Are you with me on this, Patrick? You worry that maybe we're stigmatizing COVID-19? I mean, it's a virus. And, and and right now, um, no matter uh, your what walk of life you're in, what your age, what your uh, gender, what uh, God you worship, it, it, it doesn't discriminate. It affects everyone. And so, why why stigmatize it? I think just be transparent and honest um, uh, about it, it. It can affect all of us, and 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 we've seen that. And so, I just don't accept any explanation that um, encourages secrecy and a lack of uh, transparency. I would say this though. And we've got some amazing public health uh, workers at Peel Public Health 
the physicians there are doing a great job. Um, but, you know, they feel they have to adhere to the Ontario Public Health Act and what other public health units are doing. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've asked them to take this back to the provincial table and uh, mm-hmm. I'm encouraging them to be more transparent. And you know, this was a topic of conversation at our regional council. And I hope they got the message that um, the elected officials in Peel Region want there to be a greater degree of transparency. And uh, what do you expect or when do you expect to hear back from the province on this? Well, I'm not sure because right now our local public health unit uh, agrees with the um, with the provincial policy. Um, so uh, we haven't uh, we haven't uh, changed their uh, perspective yet, uh, but we're going to continue to work at it. And, and maybe at our next regional council meeting, we'll actually have to pass a motion requiring it um, because you know I uh, I continue to disagree with uh, with the perspective on public health. Okay, Patrick, before I let you go, I just want to mention, and we, we have to punctuate this, it's not just Peel, but Toronto and Ottawa are also seeing an uptick in cases. Like since June, we've had our cases triple. Um, so, you know, the numbers as far as this, this the last couple of weeks, we're at 200s again in the province and, and many of them in the areas of Toronto, Peel, and um, Peel specifically, Brampton, and, um, and Ottawa. So knowing that, I, I don't know if you heard the premier, but I felt he was very uh, walking a weird wishy-washy line this weekend when he was with Trudeau. They were opening some sort of mine in northern Ontario. I think it was a gold mine. And he was basically saying something to the fact of, you know, like, if you can avoid these parties of 150 people, please do. Well, we're not allowing gatherings of 150 people. Do we have to hear the tough talk in Doug Ford again? Do we have to hear a more... um straight shooting message from our premier of here's the guidelines. This is what we're talking about. We're going to get a second wave if we don't rein it in here. Yeah. And I don't think it's the big parties anymore. We had bylaw officers out in Peel the last two weekends. No one was beyond the the provincial limit. We laid some heavy fines, $100,000 fines in, in the summer, and that caused a chilling effect. So we're not seeing those big events. You know, what what we need, um, we needed an additional testing center. I needed tests to be processed locally so we don't have four or five-day wait times to get results. The Premier is working on that. But the one thing that I think he said that didn't get enough attention, um, that I think has a lot of merit, is right now there are massive gaps in the enforcement of the 14-day federal quarantine. I don't mm-hmm. see any enforcement happening in Peel Region. I'm sure that's the case elsewhere. And that's a real risk because like it or, 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 or dislike it, the federal government continues to allow travel. I know last week we had 32 travel-related uh, COVID-positive cases in Peel Region. How many people did those 32 touch if there's no enforcement of the quarantine? Right. And let's face it, India's got a big problem right now with numbers, and Brampton has a huge Indian uh, population. That's a reality. That's a fact. There's, I'm not stating anything that people don't know. And that don't. concerns a lot of people within the Indian community, I'm sure, that are that are saying, holy, um, can we just make people stay indoors? Because you're putting all of us at risk. And so here's the interesting thing. And so public health briefed us and said we have a high amount of travel from India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Right now, our post-secondary education institutions have a number of international students coming in as we speak from, from India. Uh, and there was a federal mandate on a 14-day quarantine. They're saying it's the local responsibility. The local responsibility is saying it was the local police. The local police are saying it's public health. No one knew who was enforcing this. And part of the challenge is the federal government came out with a 14-day requirement, but with no resources and no plan to enforce it. They're saying it's up to the local to enforce it. 
well, are we taking police officers off the gun and gang unit or the domestic violence unit to enforce this federal rule? There's been no plan for it. And, and that's what I raised with the federal health minister last night. I had a call with her and I said, there are no resources and no plan to enforce your mandate. And so you look at other countries where they've been really strict. You look at New Zealand and they're rigorous, rigorously strict when it comes to enforcing the quarantine. How come we haven't been in Canada? And for me, I'm seeing the consequences of that in Peel region because we, we've seen this affect um, our case numbers. Well, Patrick, I think it was, I was watching CNN this weekend and I was kind of making masks at the same time. So go figure. I was kind of watching it through a sewing machine and I think it's Thailand. Uh, they were talking about how well that they've controlled uh, a second wave and what they do now with travelers or with 14 day quarantine is you're wearing a bracelet, an ankle bracelet. You're actually being monitored. Would you think, like, if we can't get tough enough, do we have to um, kind of institute some sort of uh, policy where you have to deal with a a technological kind of uh, watchdog? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are ways to enforce the the, the federal quarantine. At the very least, right now you're supposed to be at, at at your residence for 14 days and not leave and not for groceries, not for anything. And if you simply had a... Um, a police officer or a bylaw officer drop by your house, and if you're not there um, and you're out, um, then there's going to be consequences. Right now, there's been lots of people in breach, lots of people not followed, and there's no consequences. And so when, when people know that, that it's, it's teethless, they take advantage of it. And that's, and that's happened right now in Canada. I appreciate your time, Patrick. Um, best of luck with uh, what's going on right now in, in Peel and your numbers and getting communicating with your uh, constituents that we have to keep social distancing, we have to keep washing our hands, and we have to keep using those masks. Well, I appreciate the, the time today and to stay safe, stay healthy. Let's welcome to the show Adam Oldfield, who I love having on. He's our 640 Toronto tech expert, not only because you're so passionate about what you talk about, um, but also because you make some stories that are not easy for everyone to understand, pretty digestible. So I want to thank you for that. My pleasure. Absolutely. So where do we start? Can we start with Google and the Google Street View? Uh, you know, a lot of us, have, every once in a while, you, someone will go, well, where do you live? And you're like, oh, excellent. Let me just show you my house. And you'll hop on Google Street View and look at your house and say, oh, well, that was actually before we changed the shutters or, um, oh, we don't have that in our front yard anymore. Or, um, but, but some people look at it and they think, okay, Google Street View, I don't want my house on Google Street View. There is actually a way to blur your house on Google Street View. So basically, it's sort of like somebody's taken Vaseline and smushed off the front of your house. Is the way I would like to refer. Yeah. Why why would they do that? Well, I mean, first of all, I think privacy issues were a big concern. And back about, I would say, four years ago, Google was under a lot of scrutiny. In fact, got challenged in the courts with regards to, obviously, we know Google knows a lot about us. Um, and, and it's not just with Google Maps. It's with Bing Maps, Apple Maps. Uh, one of the elements that they have to allow for people to do is to blur out their home. And it's very easy to do. You, you go on Google Maps or Bing Maps, uh, MapQuest, whatever the map it is, uh, and we can do is you type your address you'll see your home maybe it's accurate maybe it's not there's a little option in there that you can click settings it's like little three dots and when you select that it will give you the option to submit to google uh to blur your home you can get a you put a little
little red box and let you draw uh, the space you want to actually blur out. And it will then submit it and it will ask you why. Google and, and, and Bing and all the maps will say, why is it you wish to blur or uh, unmark your home? Uh, you can then put reasons of uh, privacy, security, uh, or reasons that maybe would be on confidentiality. So, you know, maybe the CEO of a major corporation doesn't want to be seen. The main reason was people that were in witness protection programs were actually seen in sometimes compromised positions on their front yard. And it was uh, a privacy issue where obviously Google was uploading these satellite images and were capable of being seen. So with that said, if you're really concerned about it, you can easily blur your home uh, or your office for that matter. But there's something important, Kelly, I think you should understand is that once you submitted to Google and you blur out that address, it cannot be unchanged. And why that's a problem is say you sell your home and the new person moving in goes, why can't I see my house? Google is locking me out. It's not changeable. It won't alter. It will always be blurred. Well, that may, that's interesting because I was going to ask you if there were if you had to sh- show some sort of proof that you lived at this address because I was thinking if you have that neighbor that's a bit of a show off, you know, always has the perfect lawn and you just want to uh, have a go with them, it would be pretty easy to say, here's the address, blur the house. Yeah, Google does go through. That's why I say it doesn't instantly blur it. It goes through a process that actually will probably be up to 10 days when you submit it to be confirmed. Uh, I don't know. the. the, I haven't blurred my own property. I I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit of a show off in a showboat. But at the end, I'm waving to the Google car as it drives by. Um, In some cases, if you do try to do it, they do go through the process of validating. And that's why the reasons when you submit it to ask to remove your address uh, would necessarily mean that they would have to validate it. So if you're trying to get back at that neighbor with that perfect garden you're right it's not going to be that easy okay i thought that they they blurred your face if you were caught outside your house is that not something that they do for anonymity's sake so why would you then yeah and and faces are blurred uh but it was the home address that that you have to manually request yes okay so if you basically your head's blurred but maybe you have some defining Uh, tattoo or something on your arm and they're like, oh, now I know who that is and where they live. I would say yes, except the resolution's 360. They don't really do high resolution in regards to the photos when they're driving. And that's on purpose for two reasons. One, speed and capability of loading on mobile and desktop. Uh, So that tattoo would be undistinctive in regards to being seen. I mean, you'd have to really try to zoom in and take a look at it, but it wouldn't be anything specific you could read. So isn't it kind of pointless then to, to blur the house on Google Street View? Uh, again, I look at it as how private do you want your life to be? Some people are wearing aluminum hats uh, every day, worrying about satellite images of themselves. So if yeah, you're they call really down to it, you can. Yes. All right. Let's move our attention over to TikTok. Apparently, you know, Trump had, had said that they better find an American company to buy them. Uh, they're run by, I, I think, a Chinese company. Or he's not going to allow them in uh, the States. And because of that, I think apparently we wouldn't get them here in Canada. Can you tell us what's going on there? And I understand there's interest in Oracle. That's right. Oracle has taken the lead in this. Microsoft is officially out of the game when it comes to the purchase. Uh, Also, Walmart is still in the game um, with an interest to buy into the shares. Now, the selling 
of, of the operation isn't that difficult. It's actually migrating the information over. There's a little bit of a caveat here that I, I don't think is getting enough attention, Kelly, and that is uh, TikTok, which is the whole reason uh, the Trump administration said you got to sell it. It's not allowed to be uh, uh, continuing to operate in North America is because uh, when they do the sale, uh, all the data, all the information that's on TikTok is still owned by the Republic of China. And, and the Republic of China this past year has passed a law that says that foreign intelligence, meaning Chinese intelligence, uh, with uh, voice dictation, video uh, algorithms, are not easily allowed to be transferred to foreign companies. This has just got a little more muddier than it did clearer. This isn't like Oracle and Walmart are going to go, here's your 30 billion TikTok. Thank you. Here's our new board of directors. Everyone's loving the next uh, TikTok video sensation. This is going to get a little more uh, uglier because China is putting up their rules that say, you're not moving our data. You're not moving our technology. Um, We have a right to control who gets that information. So this is not as clean cut as selling any business. This is going to come with a, a, cup, a couple more hairs on the deal, uh, and China is going to be the problem, which means we got a data war on our hands, and the Trump administration is going to probably get a little more fierce when it comes to this. Okay, let's talk about the data that's being given away. I think that's very important because when you think about TikTok, they're the really quick videos that people are, you know, mostly younger people are using TikTok, putting up these cutesy little videos or, or you know, extreme uh, challenge videos, you know, where you do something dumb uh, for attention. What kind of data are they collecting? Because I think a lot of parents would go, I don't know, my kid puts stupid things up on the net. It's not like there's a worry. Yeah, no, what they're collecting is when that when you upload your videos or you're putting your text or whatever highlights you are in those TikTok videos, there's an algorithm. And, and China is one of the most susceptible when it comes to using uh, facial recognition. That algorithm that they have, that foreign principle that they own, is taking that video of, their, of your teenage daughters and sons doing challenges, whatever they're doing, and it's logging it. It takes that video, facial recognizes it, puts it into a folder, on a hard drive and catalogs it. So all those 35 million selfies of someone doing some dance routine is in a folder in some Chinese uh, server uh, that catalogs that facial recognition, their voice recognition, the text recognition. Um, They are able in China to be able to take however many billions of uploaded videos of individuals and really sort them to a degree of going, this is Adam Oldfield doing the funky chicken dance and here he is doing oh, the i gotta tick tock that again. i need to see that <laughs> it's not adam- pretty i'm gonna tell you kelly you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to watch too much of it but the point it's called of the, the funky is, chicken for a reason <laughs> let's let's ask i mean i know parents are listening to this right now and they're thinking adam come on that's in china why should i care why does it matter my kid probably is never gonna go to china where's the threat Well, the threat is, of course, the fact that all of our information that's being uploaded may or may not come back to haunt us. Let's take that example of uh, our child wants to be that traveler. They're taking time off school or otherwise, or they're in their 30s and they think, you know, they made it might have made a joke when they were 18 doing some uh, random dance or maybe acted out against Beijing during the Hong Kong protests. Well, they're 35 years old. They totally forgot. They got their family. They're going to see the Great Wall of China. And the next thing to know, they will be locked up in 
jail and they'll be going, what did I do wrong? Well, there's a data file that indicates that you were blasphemous against the Republic of China. It's that simple. Thanks so much for joining us. If you want to hear the whole show, we're live every day, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to noon on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Have a great day.